Amen. And I'm glad to be in the God's house this morning. Sing praises to his name. You know, although it kind of started out with only a few gray hairs, um, I sense that my gray hairs have launched an effective peer pressure campaign intending the others to convert also. And those that don't convert, they're turning loose instead of turning gray. Oh my goodness. I want to talk this morning about peer pressure and combating social peer pressure. And uh, I know that uh, we're going to be in in Daniel chapter 1. We're also going to be in uh, Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. You know, peer pressure is often... um, considered by many as a concern for young people, young adults, and, and even children, that they might be influenced by, by their peers. But folks, let's not lose sight of the fact that peer pressure is applicable to all age groups and can have a positive or a negative effect on each one of our lives. See, peer pressure is when a person feels compelled to act in a certain way because he or she wants to fit in and be accepted by certain groups of people. And to put it differently, it's an influence being exerted by peers on a person to behave in a particular way. See, this pressure, according to a professor of psychology, Brett Larson, it can be explicit where there's a direct instruction or criticism from the peers, or it can be implicit when a person senses or feels a behavior that would please the peers and make him or her to belong. So these explicit pressures, they come through things like insults. Things like insults, making a person feel bad for not doing something so that they eventually will. Or these peer pressures may come through reasoning, these explicit pressures, by giving a person reasons why they should do something. Or maybe they come through rejection, the pressure by threatening to end the relationship or end the friendship if something doesn't happen. These are explicit pressures. The implicit or unspoken pressure comes simply by seeing your peers do something or or wear something And then taking that as being what is normal, taking that to be the norm. And let me just go ahead and say this right now. Social media is a perception and not a reality. If we're going to be people from the kingdom of God who go and make disciples, don't get lost in other people's fantasy and try to apply whatever they say into your life. I mean, while it's true that many people are inclined with a desire to be accepted, with a desire to be accepted, why do you think they call it likes? While people may have a desire to be chosen or even acknowledged or even to be appreciated always by everyone they come across. Think about it. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want others to know us. We want them to accept us and to be accepted. But the reality is, is there is no way that we can please everyone and be chosen always. 
There is no way for that to happen. No matter what we do, there are always going to be people who will criticize us, maybe even trash us, especially if we live in this world system that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. He's ruling. Striving to please that system or to belong would mean aligning ourselves with Satan. This is what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 2, verse 15 and following. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Why did he have to use the word all? For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. Has anyone here experienced lust of the flesh recently? Nobody wants to admit it. See, I figured we'd get a hearty amen. Anybody experienced lust of the flesh recently? Amen. It's in the world. The lust of the eyes. Uh Uh-huh. I want somebody... The boastful pride of life. Somebody needs to stand up and say, that's what my Bible says too. Because you know what? We, We see these things. It says... For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must understand that every decision that we make entails a future. Every single decision that we make has something that goes with it. There's a future involved in that, either positive or negative. And the decision that you make today could change your path for tomorrow and your future. See, the most expensive thing the most expensive thing that you will ever do is spend time with the wrong people you know that's true because each and every one of us has regrets about spending time with the wrong people you see you show me your friends and I'll show you your future It's the ones that we hang out with that mold and shape us and our future. You see, societal peer pressure to conform runs very strong. The society wants us to conform, to be just like them. The world wants to press us into its mold. But as more of us continue to think and to act for ourselves, rather than be under the influence of what I want to call groupthink, we begin to make more effective choices. See, group pressure is a, also a fascinating process to watch. Because if, if you're given enough time and you're given enough arguments 
and enough stress, even the most resolute and determined person can be made fearful enough to completely reverse their standards to conform with everyone else. It's amazing to watch. Oh yeah, we're grounded. We think we know what we know. But understand this, God reminds his children over and over and over again, you must be strong and courageous. You must be strong and courageous. This inner resolve is so important because especially when God is getting ready to put us into a pressure situation. Because you see, our moral strength comes from strong convictions. Our moral strength comes from strong convictions. To be courageous is to act on those convictions no matter the cost. On that day, on that day when you were under pressure to conform, to be like the rest of the world, will you cave? Or are you going to stand on your convictions? See, my desire this morning is to build into you some grit, something that, that, that holds you up in those times when you don't know what to do, in those times when you feel like the world is pressing you into its mold, to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to bend and I'm not going to bow because God, God's word says something different. See, when the pressure is on you to conform, you need to be strong and courageous. I mean, where does strength to remain strong and courageous come from? Strength comes from, (laughs) thus says the Lord. The strength to stand firm, to be strong and courageous, comes from, thus says the Lord. In other words, God has said this, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to listen to it. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to hear that out in the world. They're not going to tell you to be strong and courageous. They're going to tell you to be weak and a coward so they can run over you. See, in the Old Testament, there's a king, and his name was Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was, uh, he refused to listen to God. And because of that, the result was that his nation was carried off in captivity twice. I don't want to be that guy. He didn't listen to God, but also on the other hand, in the Old Testament, there was a young man named Daniel. And Daniel did listen to God, even though he was taken into captivity because his nation would not listen to God. I think that's huge. Because you have someone who wanted to listen to God, surrounded by people who didn't want to listen to God, and they got carried off in captivity, and he was carried with them because he was part of that nation. If our nation today were to face a similar judgment of God, where we were all end up in chains, would you dare to be a Daniel? 
Would you dare to be somebody who says, you know what, I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to listen to God because I know what God has done for me. I'm going to stand firm on thus says the Lord that this is God's word and I believe it. And so I will stand firm on it. You see, Daniel, he wouldn't bend and he wouldn't bow. We need some people who won't bend and won't bow. See, I want to give you a new word today. Daniel, when he was carried off in captivity, he was a bright young man. And when a, a people conquered another people group, they would, they would take the brightest and the, the, the young, the, the strong, and they would, they would take them and they would totally put them and immerse them in their culture so that they would become like them. Now, these were people who were oppressed. These were people who had been conquered. Judah, the nation of Judah, had been conquered. Daniel lived in Judah, and so they carried him off with all of the rest of them. He was a bright young man. But Daniel was to be Babylonianized. Babylonianized. That's a huge word. It means immersed in that that pagan culture. They, they They wanted to pour into him their pagan culture so that he became just like them. Think about this. We want to totally reform you. We want to totally reshape you into the Babylonian mindset. We're going to give you the best food. We're going to teach you and send you to the best university. We're going to do all of these things so that you will become completely immersed in this culture and become one of us. We want you to be just like us. See, we too are living in a culture literally filled with idols everywhere. A fully pagan culture. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12. He says, therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship verse 2 and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect You know, Billy Graham said that the apostle Paul said, do not be conformed. And he said that cuts like a real sharp knife right across our way of life. These words, do not be conformed, have a a tone of a battle cry in them. Do not be conformed. They separate the weak from the strong. But they're words of inspiration and we need to hear them today. Don't be conformed to this world. I mean, how is it possible that a few early disciples could turn the world upside down and millions of Christians cannot even keep the world right side up? I'll tell you how. They didn't conform their faith to the world. No matter what, they stuck to their convictions. 
They said, you want to throw us in jail? Fine, throw us in jail. You want to beat us? Go ahead, beat us. You want to flog us? You flog us. We'll take whatever it takes, but we're not going to bend and we're not going to bow. Because there are some things that are more important than being liked. There are some things that are more important than being accepted by those around you. They had the truth. These early disciples, they had the truth and they didn't water it down. They had a faith that would not compromise. See, the Apostle Paul in this passage in Romans 12, he he urges that Christians everywhere in all ages are to be nonconformists as far as the world is concerned. We're not to conform. See, in a true Christian, living an obedient life is a constant rebuke to those who accept the moral standards of this world. They're going to make fun of you because you're not like them. They're going to, they're going to call you names. They're going to say you're, you're you know, holier than thou. They're going to say that, that you're goody two-shoes or whatever they're going to call you. But they're going to put you down. They're going to try and, and exercise some of that ex- explicit peer pressure upon you. See, the pagan world is still trying to put its stamp of conformity on every follower of Jesus Christ. Every possible pressure is being brought to bear on Christians to make them conform to the standards of the present world. So I want to encourage you this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as his disciple, do not conform to this world. Do not conform. Matt Chandler says this. He says, when we heed God's word, when we listen to God's word, we are rejecting how the world tries to disciple us. I would say you're being discipled by someone. It may be to follow Christ or it may be to follow the world. But everyone is being discipled by someone back to Daniel you know the Babylonian education was calculated to to renew Daniel's mind to the Babylonian worldview and and, and how does he make it he makes it by being strong and courageous and by holding on to his convictions holding on to his convictions listen if we we must first have a conviction (laughs) if we're going to hang on to that conviction. We have to have it. We have to own it. It has to be ours before we will hold on to it. You see, our problem is that we've been raising a generation without convictions because we live in a society of situational ethics, meaning that we want to flex and bend in applying moral laws to the circumstances Meaning rather than saying there's an absolute standard that this is the standard and this is where we need to be, it's like, well, we, we kind of need to take it on a, on a case-by-case basis. We kind of need to bend it and maybe, maybe allow some leniency in this area and allow some leniency in this area. 
That's situational ethics. That's bending and flexing in order to do that, to apply moral laws to that. But you know, they did that in the Old Testament as well. Judges 21, verse 25. Because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Wow. Today in our country, we no longer believe that anything is right. We no longer believe that anything is wrong. And so there's confusion over what is virtuous and what is not virtuous. Chuck Colson, he said this, he said, America has now gone down to such a point that we basically have done something that has never happened in the history of of America. Because we have moved away from a moral, spiritual foundation, we now have, for the first time, raised an entire generation of young people who have no conscience. You know what I'm saying is the truth. We see it. We know it. We have a generation of people who have no conscience because their parents had no sense of morality, of right and wrong. And since the parents had nothing, they had nothing to pass along to their children. So we're raising people today who don't know the difference between right and wrong. If our country is going to change, the hearts of the people in this country must change one by one. One by one. One at a time. Now as we continue to look at Daniel, talk about this Babylonian food. Remember, Daniel is a Jew. He came out of the, the, the nation of Judah. And he's carried off into captivity, captivity to Babylon. And so he, he's, he's presented with Babylonian food. But he could not eat it. He couldn't eat the Babylonian food because Jews could only eat certain meats. The stuff that was being set before him was not kosher. It, wasn't, it didn't follow the dietary laws. The meat probably still had blood in it. The meat could not have blood in it if a Jew was to eat it. And the king's choice of food may have been and probably was offered up to the Babylonian little G gods, the idols. And so for David to eat, or Daniel to eat that meat would have been the equivalent of him giving praise to these idols. There would have also been the temptation, pressure on Daniel to conform because he was, you know, away from home. I don't want to stick out. I want to be like everybody else. So Daniel is in the midst of a society that is opposed to God and is opposed to the word of God. Anything sounding familiar yet? Because we are there. We are like Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, but when Daniel made up his mind, literally, he made up his mind, he set upon his heart. 
that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel took a stand and he said, I cannot do this. Verse 9 says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. (laughs) See, Daniel realized that God's commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are not burdensome. God says, if we will walk within the bounds, within the boundaries of his instructions, if we will walk within the, the boundaries that he has set, that he will bless us. Now, if we step outside these commandments and these directions, he will judge and he will discipline us. But Daniel determined that no matter the cost, no matter what it costs me, that he would be strong and courageous because God will not fail you nor forsake you. In Joshua 1.5, God says, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. And he granted Daniel favor and compassion. It says in verse 9. Look also in verse 17. And as for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. God granted him favor. God blessed him and and gave his friends, the three other Hebrew youths that came with them from Judah, he blessed them and he gave them an abundance. I love that. Notice the pressure though. I'm going to be wrapping this up pretty quick here in a little bit, but um, notice the pressure. First of all, you have spiritual pressure because Daniel was in the middle of the birthplace of an idolatrous pagan religion. He was in the very epicenter of where this religion was founded. And we witnessed God bringing about a humbling of the Jews. And I'm sure that the pagan said, hey, Daniel, where's your God now? Hey, Daniel, what's your God going to do? If he's so great, why are you in Babylon? And so Daniel would have had to hold on to what he knew was true from the word of God. He had to plant his feet on the word of God. Daniel was a man of the word of God. And he knew from the word that this exile was coming and he was not caught off guard by it. See, times are going to happen. Times are going to come. When in your life and in mine, it's going to look like other little G gods are in control. Your faith, like Daniel's, will be challenged. And at that time, the only way to endure is to remain strong in the Lord and have those firm convictions about what God believes about you, that he loves you, that he is for you. See, we must choose to hold fast to those firm convictions that are found on the sure and the forever word of God. That's what Daniel was standing on. He was standing on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, 
standing firm on the word of God. So there's this spiritual pressure, but there's also intellectual pressure. I mean, our society is filled with intellectual pressure seeking to mold us and to coerce us into conforming. I'm sure Daniel was made to, su- to study subjects that were opposed to God's word. They were opposed to God's wisdom. But what held his heart, what held his mind, what held his intellect firm was knowing God and knowing his word. Knowing God and knowing his word. As the psalmist affirms in Psalm 119.98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. See, in our culture, we must refuse to bow to the intellectual pressure of the intellectualism of various non-biblical humanistic isms and theories, such as humanism, relativism, Evolution, and currently before us all over the news, we see CRT. Know God and know his word. Stand on those things. Know God and know his word. There's spiritual, there's intellectual, there's psychological pressure. How were Daniel and, and his friends pressured psychologically? By being forced to change their names. They had names that were names that honored the Hebrew God, the almighty God, the one true God. And the first thing they did was they wanted to change their names that uh, honored these pagan little G gods. You see, when when a, a group of people were taken over and conquered, you could change someone's name and it indicated your authority over them. You belong to a weaker people and the pressure of being captive. So don't be led astray by humanistic psychology. Lastly, there's social pressure. Daniel and his friends naturally would have experienced peer pressure. But you know what? In scripture, we don't read about any other Jewish young men who stood firm on their convictions. And the reason we don't read about that is probably because they conformed to that Babylonian culture. But the reason that these stick out is because they would not bend and they would not bow and they stuck to their convictions. They lived for Almighty God. Yes, God gave Daniel into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. But who's in control? God gave Daniel into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. But he survived and he was successful. He made up his mind, his his head and his heart to be faithful in the little things. And truly, the little things are the big things. So let me ask you, are you faithful in the little things that God has given you? I mean, first, we have to be strong in our convictions. You must know God and you must know the word of God. Hebrews 11:1 says this, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to be strong in our convictions. We have to know, the, know God and know his word. And I can't make it any plainer than I'm making it right now. You must know God and you must know his word if you are going to stand in the day of pressure. When that pressure comes, we must know God and know his word. Be courageous. Honor God. Trust in him. And he will be with you. I mean, be tactful in what you do. I'm not saying you have to go out there and, and just be a bull in a china shop. What I'm saying is be tactful. Daniel was not brash. He actually made an appeal to the Babylonian overseer. And he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And see if we are not healthier and brighter than the others that you're, you're feeding and giving this to. Lastly, I would say this, be tenacious. Hold on to what you believe because it's not how you start the race. It's how you finish it. It is how you finish the race and God is for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up. And as they are coming, I just wanna share a couple of quick things with you here. You know, the, the, the crucial question of time and eternity is this. When Christ returns, or when I breathe my last breath and I, I go in death, will I be saved? Will I be saved? See, when everything else is said and done, that's really the only thing that matters is when you leave this earth, are you going to be saved? But you know, Jesus tells us how we can be sure. He told his own disciples that he was going to die. And in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you so that when I come again, I will receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Amen. And Thomas said, Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
You know that often quoted scripture, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The next verse says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. See, I understand the world is wanting to press us into its mold. But God loved the world so much that he gave himself. He he came and he died. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and mine so that we could have everlasting life. This is huge because that means that God loves you so much that he came as human flesh and, and lived and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life. He was beaten. He was crucified. Died on a cross. And his blood was shed so that you and I would be reconciled back to God. So that we would have an eternal home. But if you forget anything else that I say today, don't miss this. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is not a way. He he is the way. There is no other way. There is no plan B. There are not other paths to God. He came in the flesh so that we would know this is how you get to me. It's through my son. And the Bible says that only those who put their faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ, will be saved. We simply do that by turning from our sin, by repenting of our sin and saying, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to turn away from my sin and I want to turn toward God. And we do that by a very simple prayer, just asking him to come in, confessing our sin to him and saying, I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. And so As we do that, he comes in. The Bible says that if we will confess the Lord, if we will confess him, he will come in and he will save us. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't want any of you to miss heaven. I don't want any of you to be conformed into this world. I want you to know God and I want you to know his word. But it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you've never professed Christ, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. You can say that prayer. Father, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart and to, to change me and to transform me. And God's word says that if we will do that, he will come in and be our Lord and Savior. We admit that we're sinners. We believe. I love that. We confess. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I know that in just a moment, 
We're going to have a time of response. And Father, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would guide our hearts. Father, we're thankful for everything that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we ask that this morning that if we don't know Jesus, Father, that today would be our day of salvation. Today would be our spiritual birthday. And Father, that you would draw sons and daughters to yourself. It's not about us. It's not about this church. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that. I pray that today you would draw us to you. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray.